Hello and welcome back to Commodity Conversations by the team at Mercado, the podcast where we aim to keep you up to date with the latest trends, drivers and moves in livestock, grain and oil seed and fibre markets. I'm Olivia Agar. Thanks for tuning in to episode 189. So we're getting back to our core this week for a recap of some of the trends and analysis the Mercado team have been doing. And we're going to do a bit of a rapid fire across four commodities today with Robert Herman joining me for the episode. And we're going to cover rising cattle weights, the new crop production forecasts, wool market share and sheep meat exports. Before we do get into the episode though, a few highlights from this week. So cattle markets have continued to soften with the Eastern Young Cattle Indicator now 60 cents lower than four weeks ago, which is back to levels from around October 2021. So one of the drivers of that has been a spike in cattle yardings in Queensland, which has put some pressure on. And while livestock prices have been easing, wool has been rising. So the key market indicator for wool, the Eastern Market Indicator, is at the highest level it's been since March of 2020. And it was the medium types that performed really well in this week's market and mixed results for fine wool. And for grain and oilseed, the volatility in global markets has really been on display, with the fall possibly one of the steepest in decades. December 2022, wheat futures lost $62 a tonne in Australian dollar terms, with a flood of new season grain from the Northern Hemisphere and expectations of a huge crop out of Russia. Now, canola has also been hit by a plunging palm oil price, a falling crude oil price, improving US soybean conditions, as well as news that Europe is considering curbing biodiesel production in an attempt to take the heat out of the edible oil market. So there's plenty of news to soak in there and probably a bit of patience required to see where this goes. But for now, we will jump into today's episode. Rob, it's great to have you back on Commodity Conversations with us today. I hear you're on the road at the moment. Yes, that's right. Um, It's that time when you get around a bit, I think. There's a lot of people who are looking to talk to others about agriculture, and I'm very happy to be involved. So uh, in uh, downtown, not so sunny Canberra right now. Oh, lovely place (laughs) to be. Uh, Now, Liv, I want to... um, we're going to cover a little bit of ground today, but uh, let's start off with the cattle um, business. And I noticed that Adrian did some really good analysis this week talking about, you know, what was happening in the cattle business. And we've been watching for a while post-drought that there's a herd rebuild going on, but he was talking about the um, lift in carcass weights, which has been ongoing since 2020. What's the backstory to all of that, Liv? Yeah, so it's it's always interesting to dive into these numbers and see how those seasonal conditions and the return of confidence is being reflected back in production. Um, So we've been we can see that Australian cattle are increasingly being turned off at heavier weights. So, like you said, if we if we look back at early twenty twenty, Rob, to now, average carcass weights have increased by seven percent across Australia to three hundred and forty eight kilograms carcass weight. And that's a pretty good reflection of the improved pastoral conditions in the last two to three years in many areas, thanks to that uh, influence of La Nina, which I saw just this week has only just moved from an active stage back to a watch alert. And as far as who takes out the title of the heavyweight champion between the states, it was Queensland when you dive into those numbers with steers and bulls averaging 362 kilo carcass weight and then that was followed by 
New South Wales at 349. So looking at that, it, you know, it could be a bit of an influence of those pretty strong uh, numbers of cattle in feedlots, Rob. What do you think about that? Yes, I think that's a good point to make in that, and we know that most of the cattle on feed, uh, the 1.1 million cattle on feed, are in that northern New South Wales, Queensland area. So that would be influencing that. But I suppose the good thing is, though, Liv, that we know that on a cents per kilogram basis, um, cattle prices are very high. So if we've got high cattle prices and high kilograms, then that's a lot of money flowing back into the cattle business. Yeah, yeah, it certainly is. And I guess one of the key takeaways to have here is that we're seeing those heavier cattle um, driven by producers being able to hold on their cattle longer, Mm -hmm. which is keeping supply tight, which is good for price. And if and when we do see conditions deteriorate, though, those are the cattle that will be first to turn off. Yes, and that's something to watch because we know that the herd's been building and we've done some work on looking at the, um, the the key indicator of that, which is the female slaughter rate. So that's telling us that the herd is rebuilding. So you're right, if, if things do turn around in the north, then we could see a lot of cattle arrive on the market. But I think it's worth pointing out, Liv, that that's only likely to be in the next monsoon. So, you know, certainly for the end of, till the end of the year, we're unlikely to see big numbers. Yeah, not a lot of huge downside swing in the market there, I think. But Rob, let's take a turn to wool for a minute because Andrew Wood's article today caught my eye and it was talking about market share of wool as a proportion of the total fibre market, which it's about 1% to 2%, I think. But I guess the question that comes from that, Rob, is are we seeing market share fall or hold? Well, I think firstly, we need to clarify what is market share. And Andrew uh, did some good work this week in looking at sort of teasing out where does wool really compete? And, and so, for example, in, in fibre, things like the, the fibre that goes into car tyres is included in the fibre market. Well, clearly, that's not an area where wool's going to compete. So, so what he did is he took it back to the staple, staple fibres, um, so cotton, polyester, acrylic and wool, and, and also there's, you know, there's other smaller volumes of, of animal source fibres like mohair and even silk and things like that. But just trying to compare apples with apples. And, and what it tells us is that um, we've got a pretty stable market share sitting around an average of about 9% during the past decade. Uh, it's interesting when it changes, it, it doesn't, in the, in the past decade, it hasn't changed much based on the supply of wool live it's changed more on the supply of other fibers and a good example was in 2011 cotton had a booming year and uh, of course there were um, you know cotton went from um, uh, 100 thousand million kilograms or million dollars worth of value uh, up to 140 um, thousand million dollars and uh, well that's billions probably I think isn't it but it's a lot but my point is that um, it's the, it's the movement in other fibres which changes. And so at that stage, we had a quite a low market share of around 6%. Um, this year, again, we're seeing strong cotton volumes, mm. um, which again is impacting on our market share. But, um, you know, as, as Andrew pointed out, over the last 10 years, we've averaged about 9%, and that seems to be reasonably stable with a low of 6%, which we're seeing now. And as I said, in 20. 10, 2011, we were around about that level as well. 
Yeah, that seems like some pretty um, pretty positive figures for wool there, and, and that it's been stable over time. Yes, it has, and uh, and I suppose we're seeing that you know there's a relatively stable flock here in Australia. Remember, Australia is the biggest producer of wool, um, and post the drought, you know, it's relatively stable and you know probably growing slightly, maybe three or four percent per year. Um, so let's. Uh, that's you don't get me talking too much about wool live because I tend to go on a bit. Um, but let's talk about grain. Um, we've got some figures out, and I think Angus did the research this week on looking at the winter crop plantings. Um, what's the outlook for that? Yeah, so we've got the winter crop, it's pretty much all in the ground now, and A Bears have come out with their first estimates for the new crop, which we're always interested to see. And as you said, Angus looked at that this week and one of the key expectations is that despite the very strong prices, they are tipping total winter crop planting to be about the same as last season. But the interesting thing is a shift from barley and towards canola. So for barley plantings, they're forecasting uh, 4.12 million hectares, which is down by about 5% on last year. And even though there was a rally in price early in this year, if you look at canola where it's sitting at over a thousand dollars a ton, it's clearly pretty hard to ignore that one. So AVEs are forecasting a record canola planting of 3.4 million hectares, which is up by 12% on last year, Rob. Yes, and and it's almost like um, grain and oilseed producers are sport for choice at the moment because we're seeing uh, all the prices. If you look to the forward prices, you know, wheat's around $500 a tonne, barley's a bit above $400, and as you mentioned, canola's at record levels. So um, I think um, the, these these growers around the country are looking forward to harvest and, and, you know, looking forward to something really positive. What The yields forecast to be slightly lower at the moment, or, or what's the story there? Yeah, yeah, they are. So in terms of yield, they are forecasting a decrease on last season, but I wouldn't say that A-bears are underplaying the potential, though, for this season. So if you look at wheat yield forecasts, for example, they're still expected to be 20% higher than the long-term average. So we're still going to need a pretty good season for the for us to reach those forecasts. Yeah, well, it's, um, it's going to be interesting. And I guess the overall A-bears um, forecast is, is not too bad. Yeah, yeah. So all in all, forecasting another very strong year of winter crop production. But uh, let's finish up today with lamb though, Rob, because strengthening demand from overseas markets, it's something we've been talking about on here for a long time now. But what do the latest export stats tell us? Yes, well, we were looking at those. um, I think Angus again did some work on those, Liv, and and the export numbers are showing us that um, things are things are pretty good. Um, so, live lamb exports in May were at their second highest level in the last three years. So that's a really good um, result. It's um, it's telling us that uh, there's plenty of global demand for it. And I noticed that Angus also, I think a week or so ago, Liv did some work on looking at the export value. Um, the export value has really spiked up because we've got strong prices and we've got strong export numbers. So that's telling us that as we come into the the end of, I guess, the 21-22 lamb season, 
um, that we're going to be have a, have a pretty clear deck to go into the new season lamb. And of course, new season lamb price is generally driven by where we end up in the winter. We've normally seen the winter prices spike up and, and that would be our expectation now leading into when those first lambs start arriving in, in the northern markets um, of uh, Dubbo. Yeah, and there, I think there are still um, that old old season lambs are still coming in as well and it's a bit of an extended season there. So it'll be interesting to see how price does play out over winter and if we get that that real peak that we usually see come or, or if it's a bit more um, subdued this season. But, um, Rob, what about mutton, though? How has the exports been travelling for mutton? Yes, well, mutton, um, it's almost, uh, if we compare mutton with lamb, if you like, I think, um, you know, China, exports of lamb to China have been down, but exports of mutton have been higher. And um, I think it's telling us that there's a pretty strong appetite for mutton and that that product that goes into China um, it's also supporting prices. Um, so, look, I think I think by and large we're we're pretty happy with the situation with with sheep and lamb at the moment. We know that we had a we had a funny old year in that um, uh, you know the spring prices when normally the the supply of lamb and mutton pushes prices down. The spring prices turned out to be higher than the summer prices and the and the early autumn prices. But I think we've had a funny old year where those sort of things have happened. At the same time, it just seems as though we've got really strong and diverse markets that are really supportive of our products. Yeah, as well as the um, cheaper Australian dollar, which, again, is supporting those overseas buyers when looking at our products. So, yeah, a pretty good story all around there. And and thanks again for coming on the podcast today, Rob. We might wrap it up there and we'll, we'll leave you be in Canberra and a, I know you're well acclimatised to the cold there, so I hope you keep keep warm the rest of the week. Thanks, Liv. Um, yes, and uh, for anyone worried about it, oh, i got to tell you, I, I enjoy this more than I enjoy the heat, so um, <laughs> no problem there. Thanks, Liv, no and problem. all the best. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for listening to another episode of Commodity Conversations. If you're looking for more detailed information on commodity markets, you can head to the Mercado website and pick up a premium subscription, which will give you full access to all our archive of reports, as well as all the fresh analysis as it's delivered and access to our team of analysts. Thanks again, and until next week, take care.